2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we will be today. We're in a 12-week series in the book 2 Corinthians. We're calling this Ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are ambassadors of Christ because God is making his appeal through us. For some reason, God has chosen to use humanity to make an appeal to the world about who Jesus is. And there is something we have been entrusted with. We are ambassadors. We're representatives. God has trusted us with the good news of Christ. Now, coming into chapter 5, last week I preached from chapter 4, and you can go back and check it out. In verse 1 in chapter 4 and in verse 16 in chapter 4, it says, Do not lose heart. Because Paul's writing to people in churches in Corinth who were growing weary because of division, because of disunity, all things, all type of, types of things that were disrupting the body there. And Paul himself was experiencing some of this. So he's reminding people, because of Jesus' work in your life, don't grow weary, don't lose heart, stay confident. So this morning I want to work you through a few things in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to begin by just asking, have you ever talked about somebody as if they were in the room, even though they weren't in the room? Have you ever been in a room with people where you're talking about people who aren't in the room? And this could be gossip. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not gossip. Sometimes you're talking about people when you're in a room with other people, and it's not gossip. It's just you're just catching up on life. You're telling stories about coworkers and friends and neighbors and relatives. And sometimes we're in a room with people talking about people who aren't in the room and they're not in the room because they're dead. Maybe they've been dead months, years, decades, centuries, maybe thousands of years. There are times you're in a room talking about people who aren't in the room. And sometimes worship experiences can feel like that we're talking about Jesus, but do we really believe Jesus is in the room? Right? We're singing about Jesus, praying to Jesus, talking about Jesus, but do we really believe he's in the room? Not just like peeking through the blinds of a window into a worship center, but he is in the center of it all. That how we worship and how we sing and how we pray and how we engage the word of God and how we encourage one another, like this does something to the heart of heaven. It does something to the heart of Christ. It brings joy to him. Jesus is aware of all the things that distract us when we come into a space like this, but that when we worship, Jesus is in the room. So two things about this. One, I want to affirm Kip and his 20 years of worship ministry in the life of this church. That Kip, you lead us in worship believing God's in the room. So as you're wrestling, preparing, standing in front of people to lead them, it's not let's just sing about God, but we're singing to God because God is in the center of what an experience is all about. And I also bring this up because I want to begin in chapter 5, verse 10. And then I want to try to wrap around and go around this verse right here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due us for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. So with the thought in front of you of Jesus being in the room, not just outside the room, but in the room, and now you hear me or you see with your own eye, chapter 5, verse 10, does this strike you with fear or does this encourage your heart? Because when we read chapter 5, verse 10, I bet for most of you there is this moment of fear of if this is what the judgment day is going to be like, that you stand before Judge Jesus, and as you were there, uh, he's rattling off everything you've done wrong in your life, and now you're having to give account for it. That's frightful. But the good you've done in your life gets just as much playing time in chapter 5, verse 10 as the evil that you have done in your life. 
back in high school, toward the end of high school, God had worked a number on my life. God was growing me in my leadership. I cared about people knowing Jesus. I wanted people to thrive with Christ. So God was growing me in a lot of these areas, but I still got in trouble some. And most of the time I got in trouble in school, it's because I, I was socializing a lot. So there were times I was late for classes. I wasn't disrespecting teachers, but I, there were other things I would do where I had detention. I had to go to the principal's office. And there was one day the principal came over the speaker of the school in the classroom I was in and said, Josh Ross, we need to see you in the principal's office. And any of you have ever been in school before and this happens over the speaker, you know, you're, everybody else is like, ooh, you know, what did he do this time? And I didn't know what I had done this time. So I got down to the office and as I walked in, there was the principal who's still a friend of mine to this day. There's the principal and a few of her assistants and there had just been a birthday party they had celebrated in the main office and they had an extra cake and she called me down to sit with them to eat birthday cake in her office. Which for a moment I was like, I'm being set up for something, right? And if you've ever eaten a meal with me, I am a fast eater. I eat faster than you. I grew up in a family where if you didn't eat fast, your dad would finish his meal and then reach across the table and eat your meal too. So that's, and, and uh, we're going to edit that out of the sermon just in case it's on the podcast, right? It's really not how my dad, but I eat fast. It was the slowest I've ever eaten a piece of cake in my life. I was out of school or out of a class in there with the principal's office. And this would happen a couple of times. And my principal, Principal Stone, what she said is she wanted to transform what the principal's office experience was for some of her students. That she wanted it to be a place where she knew that there was some punishment that had to happen in the principal's office. There were some consequences and there were times she had to talk about people because of things they did wrong. But she wanted her office to be a place of transformation, of equipping future leaders, of encouraging them, of investing in them, of preparing. She wanted to transform what the principal-student relationship was all about. So I want you to think about chapter 5, verse 10. Because in chapter 5, Paul's not just dealing with heaven and hell. And it's not just what the judgment day is like and what the final day is like. There's so much more that is happening in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. I think Paul offers up this verse as a word of encouragement to people, not just a word of fear. And I don't have time to unpack how the judgment of God works throughout Scripture. But if you were to look at the judgment of God, or you and I, if you want to talk about this later, we can. If you were to look at the judgment of God throughout Scripture, for the people of God, it is not something they fear. It's something they want to happen. Because the judgment of God is what sets the world right. The judgment of God is what establishes righteousness in your life and in the world forever. So if you look at some of the Psalms that talk about the judgment of God, they're actually in Psalms that are celebrating the judgment of God, not just trying to strike fear in people about the judgment of God. Because it's the judgment of God, later on in Scripture, the judgment of Christ, that's going to set people right and it's going to set the world right. Now for any of you who grew up in churches, or in a form of Christianity that was always about what you don't do, you probably think of chapter 5, verse 10 of, oh my goodness, the day's going to come where every bad thing I've done, and some of you are like, I've done a lot of bad things just in the last 24 hours that would take a while to work through. That here we are in the presence of Jesus, and what's it going to be like? And here Paul places in front of people of here, there's the judgment of Christ where you're going to have to give account. And I think what Paul is doing in chapter 5 is he's trying to encourage people to live with confidence, not just to live a life where you're trying not to get in trouble. 
So let me show you what happens before and what happens after this verse. If you look before it, here's what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. That yes, we do have confidence. So he's talking about confidence, living with confidence, having faith with confidence. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please Jesus. And then he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. The way Paul talks about it here, if you see the screen, this is not about trying to avoid punishment. It's trying to live a good life because we serve a good God. So this isn't just trying to avoid something. It's trying to live in a certain way because of something or because of someone. The verse that happens right after verse 10 is, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. So the whole concept of the judgment of Christ is meant to help us to live the kind of life where we're persuading other people to take on a life with Christ. Later on in chapter 5, it talks about how we're compelled by the love of God, not compelled by the fear of God. That we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that God is making his appeal through us. In verse 10, as it talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and that we'll all receive what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Know this about God throughout all of Scripture. God may use chapter 5, verse 10 to convict you today, to convict you of sin in your life or things that need to be transformed in your life, but God is one who brings conviction, but God doesn't hold grudges. God is one who brings conviction, that he wants to convict us of sin, convict us of things that do not look like God, but even though God hates sin and God hates evil, God's heart doesn't become bitter towards people. God's heart doesn't become bitter toward you. And I think for some of us, we believe in a God whose heart doesn't grow bitter toward other people, but do we believe that there's a God whose heart doesn't become bitter toward us? There are two things that wake me up every Sunday morning with joy. I love my job. I love what I get to do. And one is I wake up remembering death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's what drives me. I think it's what drives us in our lives. There is no better message for the world. And the other thing that wakes me up with so much joy and excitement is just the possibility of a Sunday morning at Sycamore View creating impact, meaning that we gather in a worship space. We're online and in this room. We have hundreds, 600 or so people who are with us for a worship experience. And the thought of what an impact of God encountering people through a worship experience and then us being launched into the world, what it can mean for Shelby County and beyond. So I I wake up thinking about impact and the phrase I sometimes use when I think about worship is that worship is not just where we come to meet with God, it's where we are equipped to meet God everywhere else in the world, everywhere else in life. And that we have a chance to encounter God through songs and the table and prayer and through the word. And then we go out into our neighborhoods and our jobs and the impact that can come through God encountering us through worship, it drives me. So when I think about the hope And I think about, as Paul writes about, all the things that can cause us to lose heart. And then Paul reminding people of what it is that drives us in life, that leads us to live with confidence so that we help persuade other people. I keep coming back to sometimes life's really hard. And sometimes life is very unpredictable. So we're clinging to hope as we walk through life that presents so many things in front of us that are just unpredictable. We never saw them coming. Kind of like the Memphis weather. Y'all with me? It's just unpredictable. Remember a couple weeks ago, we had that 50-degree weather in the morning. It was beautiful. 
For people who you know, probably didn't grow up in Memphis or the South, you're like, fall is here. And for those of us who've been here for a while, you're like, no, summer's just around the corner. Uh, it was like, they think this is fall, but we got one more run in us. I came across this the other day to show this image right here. Um, Welcome to Memphis, where the weather is made up and the seasons don't matter. And I remember showing this a couple of years ago. Maybe you've seen this online. Memphis is 12 seasons. Just a moment to educate some of you people who may be new to this area. We have 12 seasons here. There is winter. There is full spring. There is a second winter, a spring of deception, a third winter. There is the pollening, God forbid. There's actual spring. There is summer. There is hell's front porch, which we've already survived. We've survived that part. There is the false fall and the second summer, which we kind of find ourselves in right now. And there is actual fall. People, it's unpredictable, but we're going to be all right. We're in it together, okay? I want you to look in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for the first four verses, and I'm going to go through them twice. And the first time we walk through them, I want you just to see it. I want you to, I, I want you to notice the description that's being used here. About the, about the body. So chapter 5 begins with, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, having been clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we grow under our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I want you just to see some of the words about earthly tent, building from God, a house, a tent, having been clothed, a tent clothed. I want you to see some of these because what Paul is doing in these four verses is painting the reality that many of us know. As we age, our bodies break down. As we age, our physical and mental state, it, it declines. This is just part of aging in life. And Paul's acknowledging we live in a world where this happens. And I want you to go back through in the four verses, and I want you just to hear some of the emotions. Because I think some of this Paul is talking out of his own life, and Paul is just stating, look, this is the world we live in. We groan. And here's what Paul says. I want you just to listen to emotions. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed having been clothed, having been clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. All right, so in verse 3, I want you looking in your Bibles at verse 3. I don't know if you got your physical Bibles or you have tablets. Or, I don't know what you're looking at today, a screen, but in verse 3, in your version, does it have the phrase about being clothed or taking clothes off, like taking it off? Because some of your versions, it talks about something being taken off and other versions about putting th something back on. Now, sometimes two and three-year-olds don't know the difference between taking clothes off and putting clothes on. I think most of us, we know the difference. So in the Greek, the, the exact word is, it, 
It's about being clothed. It's putting something on. And translators have wrestled with this for years. And I want to try to make this as clear as possible for you. Because I think it matters for what Paul is trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's talk about sin for just a moment. Now in 2 Corinthians 5, I don't think Paul is talking about sin. But if you were to read Romans chapter 6, or if you were to read Colossians chapter 3, it talks about how in our lives, in conversion, when we surrender our lives to Jesus in baptism, sin is something that needs to be taken off, and the righteousness of God is something we put on. So when it comes to sin, it's not that God is putting righteousness on top of your sin, hoping that one will defeat the other. It's that in our life with God, we take sin off and we put on Christ. Got it? In 2 Corinthians 5, I think Paul is doing something different. And I think in verse 3, the reason the phrase is putting clothes on is Paul's trying to paint this image of this eternal clothing that has already begun in the lives of believers now. To where it's not that one day your body dies and then that thing is set aside and then God creates this eternal body for you. But for those of us who are believers in God, the eternal state has already begun. As we are clothed with the eternal, the eternal is going to transform everything in our lives that breaks down over time. And the reason I think Paul paints this image of the eternal glory that is already clothing the believers in Christ is he's painting this image for you to know that as you live your life now, even though there may be moments you feel like you are losing heart, even though you have moments in your life where you are weary, that you know you are a part of a story that eternally has already begun. It's happening. Therefore, live with confidence because you are a part of a story that is bigger than yourself. Eternity has already started. Therefore, don't grow weary and don't lose heart and don't give up. Keep reaching for Jesus and when you're too weak to reach for Jesus, know that he is reaching for you. I think what Paul is trying to do is to spur one another's on with confidence that the eternal glory has already clothed you. Therefore, you are not a part of a story that is in decline, but you are a part of a story that goes on forever. And though the circumstances of today that are sometimes heavy, they do not determine your eternity. Instead, eternity with God, which has already begun for the lives of believers, is already in the process of defining you. So this morning, I have one more story I want to tell, but I want to ask for, I think, Casey and Laura, your prayer leaders today. Mark Powell is going to be up front to my right. Uh, Willie Thomas, if you will, will y'all go ahead and go to your places to receive people? And I was, I was processing chapter 5 over the last few weeks. And the images Paul's painting, trying to urge one another on with confidence. I came across this one story of a cell that was back in World War II. This was a, a cell of a POW, a prisoner of war. And there were three statements found in this cell of a believer in God. And the three statements were this, and I'm just going to let these sit up on the screen for a few moments, if you go to that last image. In that cell, it said, I believe in the Son, 
even when it is not shining. I believe in love, even when I feel it not. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. And if you are in need of a word or a prayer of confidence today, our leaders are around this room to receive you and to pray for you. And as we take the bread and the cup today, if you ever have doubts about God speaking in your life, this is a moment that we are a part of every Sunday where God may not speak with a verbal voice, but God speaks a million words. As God reminds us of sacrifice and life, and that we're invited into this life, not because of things we've done or we've tried to check all the boxes in our lives, but because of what Jesus has done. So in this moment, may Jesus encounter you, and if you encounter the judgment of Christ as you take the bread and the cup today, may you know it's because the love of Jesus compels him to want the best for you. And it's because he has righteousness in mind, not just punishment. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And God, as we take the bread and the cup today, there may be some people who focus a lot more on the death of Christ and some in this worship experience who may focus a lot more on the resurrection of Christ. God, will you hold them together for us in this moment today to be reminded of sacrifice and to be reminded of the reality that death is not where our story ends. And God, will you use the bread and the cup in this prayer time today to fill us with hope and confidence that we may live lives this week where with our words and our actions that we will persuade others of the goodness of Jesus in this world. It is through Christ we pray and the church said, amen.